0: In the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. We're happy you're spending some time with us, Chip and Zay. Rocking and rolling on a Tuesday. Breaking it down. Zay, I've had a chance to look at Iowa State a little bit. And uh, I think this is going to be a Sudoku puzzle culture Sudoku puzzle for the Longhorns. Let's see if uh I thought it was um, a little bit interesting that Christian Jones used the term, you know, he brought up the Brees Hall comment from 2020. Five-star culture beat five-star talent. That was the game that sprung Iowa State into the Big 12 title game with Brock Purdy. And caused Texas to fall out of the Big 12 title chase. Tom Herman, you idiot, for trying a fake punt up 10 in the third quarter. Mm. Um, It did not work, and it ended up giving Iowa State momentum, and the rest is history. But here's the thing. You don't know any players for Iowa State You don't know any of their receivers. You don't know any of their, maybe you know Jalen Noel. You don't know who their running backs are. Rocco Becht, if you've really been paying attention, you know he's the son of the former tight end Anthony Becht, former first round draft pick of played for the New York Jets, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. On defense, they don't have Will McDonald anymore. They don't have the dudes that you're used to, but. They've got a team that has bonded together probably because of the gambling situation that, you know, bagged their quarterback. That's still one of the weirdest stories. The Iowa Gaming Commission on its own went and looked at, you know, looked through the roles for Iowa and Iowa State athletes who were betting. And they they found Hunter Deckers and Deckers was betting on, Freaking Iowa State football games, for God's sake. So he's now facing like criminal, you know, charges.
1: Ah, Let him play. Come on. Let him play. He's betting on himself.
0: Yeah, man. Aren't you supposed to do that? Isn't that the lesson in
1: life? I've heard that my whole life and now it's wrong to do. Come on.
0: Oh, my God. Right? Some BS, man. All right. Listen. My dog is pounding on the door to get in here. He was too lazy to come up the stairs. Now I got to let him in. So tell the people, are you agreeing with me, disagreeing on the Iowa State Cyclones? About them being scary as hell?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Like, what, three out of the last four times the Horns have been the aims, they've lost? Yeah, not feeling too good about this game, especially with the second half woes that the Horns are bringing back up that we saw way too often in 2022. I mean, we've been talking about it ever since the game in Fort Worth from Houston to Kansas State to TCU. They just keep blowing leads, and it seems like their luck is going to run out eventually, and now you got Jonathan Brooks out. Hell yeah, I'm nervous. You know, like that's Matt Campbell team. That dude, he loves Ames. You got to give it to him. He had opportunities to go elsewhere and take some big time money. And he said, no, I want to stay here in Ames, Iowa and build my program the way I want to build it and have the freedom that I want to have here. And Hey, all of his teams are tough. They might not be talent-wise comparable to Texas, but a lot of the times over the years they've been tougher than Texas. And I hope that's not the case this Saturday, but a lot
0: of crazy shit happens in that part of Iowa. So yeah, well, man, the I'm cool nervous. the cool thing for Matt Campbell is he's been able to hang on to John Haycock, his defensive coordinator the whole time. Yeah. Like Haycock should have gotten lower level D1 jobs. By now, you know, whether it's like a Mac job or something, but, and Matt Campbell has young kids and he coaches their baseball team, you know, I mean, and he wanted to be in a place like Iowa State, because everyone's like, oh man, he missed the window last year. He went four and eight. And for Matt Campbell, it's not about, I mean, now... His agent will probably say there's a job out there that he would say yes to. But he really wants to raise his kids and be present in their lives. It's kind of a, oh, isn't that sweet <laughs> story? But I believe him. And and so Iowa State has benefited from this guy wanting to raise his kids there and in, in Ames. And he's got a great athletic director and Jamie Pollard, who works his ass off to come up with the means to, you know, get them what he needs. And it's, you know, a credit to Campbell and Haycock that that defense, it doesn't matter who's playing. They just keep making it miserable for people. They're gonna squeeze you. They're gonna, they're gonna drag this thing out. It's a the equivalent of a four-corners basketball offense, Zay. They want to drag you into a low possession game. Instead of 70 to 80 plays, you're gonna run 50. Now, um, I need to look and see how many plays OU ran. Because we know OU uh likes to go up tempo. And they ran OU ran and OU won 50 to 20 over Iowa State in Norman um they had 41 okay so they ran seven they ran 80 plays so Oklahoma was able to go up tempo speed up Iowa State and get them to play their you know their game and And Iowa State, you know, let's take their, uh, you know, let's say against Baylor, it was 66 plays. So, you know, typically, if you're playing a game and it's Iowa State dictating, the plays you're playing are like you're getting 50-something, 60-something total plays instead of 70 or 80. And This is the challenge now without Jonathan Brooks. And can you keep Quinn Ewers protected? No sacks last week. He threw a lot of balls away. He does not want to take a hit on that shoulder. I wouldn't either because it's painful and he's going to have to manage that pain the rest of the year. That's not going to go away until he stops playing football. So this is, you know, when we talk about Jonathan Brooks, not playing in this game, my biggest concern is blitz pickup. You know, C.J. Baxter picked up the blitz on the third and 12 completion to A.D. Mitchell to end the TCU game, that's great. Can he do it? Play in, play out, because something tells me, Zay, that Quinn is gonna have to win this game with his arm, and that in itself makes you a little bit reaching for the Tums.
1: Yeah, it definitely makes you a little nervous, especially since Quinn Ewers probably still isn't 100%. And we could get to all the rumors going around social media about if he's going to stay or leave because that's something in itself. But, yeah, for this game specifically, with no Jonathan Brooks, it seems like Quinn Ewers is going to have to make some big-time throws. And you talk about the pace. I think that plays in the Texas favor. I think when the defense for the Horns. When offenses could go up tempo and keep, you know, guys on the field, they could get a little fatigued. And you kind of seen it this year, especially when offensive teams start throwing the ball at a high rate. And Texas secondary, they could get confused back there. I mean, Derek Williams, as good as he is, he could lose track of just certain communication with guys. And so can Terrence Brooks. Like we've kind of seen it up and down all year long. And again, the fact that these guys are nine and one is amazing with just kind of all the mishaps that they've had. So if they play Iowa, I mean, when they play Iowa State, and if Iowa State wants to slow the game down and allow Texas to catch their breath and, you know, have their assignments all intact, then, again, I think that plays into the Horn's hands. I think Trevandre Sweat and Vernon Broughton and Byron Murphy, and now you got Trill Carter getting sacks again in the mix, along with Baron Sorrell and Ethan Burke and those guys. Like, they can make life hell for... Rocco Bett, you know, who's still a freshman and will still throw the ball up there even though he's gotten better since that Oklahoma game in late September, you can still get to him. He's a lot like Josh Hoover due to his inexperience and he wants to make plays, you know, so he's going to give defenses opportunities to do that. So, yeah, you know, you talk about picking up, you know, pass protection for Jaden Blue and For um, C.J. Baxter, that's going to be huge. But Sark's got to put those guys in situations to make life easy for them. And I think if Jaden Blue, if his pass protection is on point, I think this could be a breakout game for him. I really do. I think he just been itching at the bit to get out there and showcase his stuff. And it's been hard to cause Jonathan Brooks and CJ Baxter begin majority of the reps. But don't forget about Jaden Blue's run, you know, a few games ago. Like that dude, he has big time explosiveness. It just needs to be, you know, thrown out there. He needs to be given the opportunity to make big plays when the horns need them. And I think Iowa State this week is gonna be a grand opportunity for him. So I, I hope, you know, especially playing this three-three-five defense you heard Sark talk about you know them being the pioneers of it and you mentioned Haycock and him have probably having opportunities at lower G5 schools to go to because he's such a defense savant well you gotta take what the defense gives you Sark you know that those deep shots that you saw to Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Wordy and TCU that might not be there this week you want it to be there, but that might not be there due to Jonathan Brooks not being available and them playing, you know, a little tighter and knowing that you're going to have to put the ball in the air. So Quinn yours, those intermediate routes, Jordan Winniton, JT Sanders, this should be y'all's game. As good as Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy have been all year long. JT Sanders and Jordan Whittington, this should be the game where y'all go crazy because all the focus is going to be on one and five. And I think 13 and zero can really muck stuff up for that Iowa State defense. So uh, the Sark, you got to be patient, man. You got us. There's might be some long, methodical 10 play, eight minute drive. So be it. You can't get, you know, greedy and go for those deep shots that aren't there just because it's fun. <laughs> like, you know, I've seen too much of that during Sark's tenure where it's like, dude, bang, there's three other jerseys over there. Why the hell are we throwing it? I don't want to see any of those. You know, obviously, you got to test them every once in a while, but let's limit those and let's make sure the intermediate stuff in between 10 and 20 yards, that's on point all week long. And if it is, then the Horns should leave Ames with a dub.
0: Yeah, special teams has got to be on point. Um, Ryan Sanborn had a rare, poor game. He was
1: awful. He couldn't even catch the ball on snaps for the field goals. We, yeah, Ryan, we remember that too, bro. We remember that your, your punting wasn't bad either. You couldn't even catch the ball for Burt Auburn, who's bullying
0: the special teams guy.
1: What you mean? You brought him up. I wouldn't even said that if you I didn't bring him up. You, you got your boxing gloves on already.
0: You're ready I'm
1: to say it, yo. That stuff is big, not holding the ball. Come on, yo, man. Yo, it's big, it's big. Bam, That's hold big. that thing. He go juggling it. Tony Romo, that thing. Come on, man. We can't have that. And you're no. not putting the ball right.
0: Right. Come on, man. Thirty-six yard punt. We can't have that. You've been yeah, booming I'm them right. all week, all year. Don't, don't, don't fade now. Is what I'm saying. Special teams, don't fade now. Here's what's probably gonna happen, Zay. You ready? This is probably going to be a back-and-forth game. It's not going to be a game where Texas races out to a 20-point lead and then relaxes. They're going to have to fight every step of the way, and that's probably a good thing. As crazy as that sounds, as crazy as that sounds, remember when they were 10-10 with Wyoming going into the fourth quarter? Wow. And when they put it on them? I think it's going to be, I don't know that they're going to put put it on them. But I think this is going to be more of a, a back and forth game and Texas has got to take care of the football. So if, if CJ Baxter, Jaden Blue, if there's one thing you have to do, you have to protect the football because we saw the one time Jonathan Brooks gave it up was the worst possible time. It, it had come right after 14 points and the momentum was shifting and K-State scored 20 points in two and a half minutes. And that's how you get back into a game. And that's, you know, Sark said it, TCU was able to get back into the game because they were capitalizing on Texas mistakes Stupid penalty out of bounds extends a punt return into deep into Texas territory and whip, whap, whoop. TCU scoring quick. So, this is to me the ultimate test of the culture that Steve Sarkeesian has built for this team going up against the program that prides itself for having five star culture. Let's see if Texas's culture can take down the Iowa State culture. And look, Kansas won in Ames at night two weeks ago. They got a little help from Rocco Becht, who threw him a pick six. Rocco Becht threw a pick six to open the game at OU. Those are the two losses that Iowa State has in conference. <clears throat> and he he ain't seen a defense like Texas. Nope. He ain't seen a pass rush like Texas. And Baron Sorrell, Ethan Burke, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, and whatever Pete dials up, you got to get this kid rattled. And you got to get him thinking, get me out of here. And, and get him to throw it up a couple times because – um, the defense is going to have to play a role in this game, might even need to score, but has to win the turnover battle, in my opinion. I don't think Texas wins the game if they don't win the turnover battle. So Yeah, yeah I agree. And Rocco Beck, he's pretty athletic. You know,
1: they'll use some... You know, direct runs with him in it. He does a good job of escaping the pocket when pressure comes. And you saw with Josh Hoover, once Josh Hoover started escaping that pocket and kept his eyes up the field, he was able to make some big-time throws. And those TCU receivers like Savion Williams and Richardson and Jared Wiley, they were able to get open. You know that's one of the hardest things for secondary players to do is when the guys start scrambling, you sticking on your guy, and then once those wide receivers start improvising, like okay, you got the you got the one route covered, but if there's a guy back there just scrambling around and keeping the play alive and stuff, that's tough to cover. And we saw Josh Hoover make some big time throws, you know, utilizing his legs this past Saturday. So Rocco Beck, I, he has that in him. You know, I'm going back and watching that BYU game. He has a lot of that in him, and it's it could be scary. It could be problematic for the Horns if they don't get that guy down and if the secondary is just still giving up big plays like they have been prone to do all year long. So, yeah, obviously turning the Cyclones over, that would be huge. But, man, when – it's time to run the ball for Texas. Will they be able to? Does Steve Sarkeesian have confidence in CJ Baxter, Jaden Blue? What's the word on Keelan Robinson? We're getting on our um Coda Text line, which appreciate y'all uh for hitting up 512-222-9328. Somebody asked where k robs at. Uh he missed the last game. Any word on
0: him, Chip? Yeah, I think I think he's gonna be back for this game. Um, I think he had a uh, he got dinged in the noggin um, in, in practice. They took his helmet away for that game. Um, but I think he'll be back for Iowa State, and I mean, we'll see. Obviously, um, I'll I'll check on that. I usually have a better read on that after uh, Wednesday's practice. But um, this is this is going to be and all hands on deck and they need to make plays in every phase of the game. Um I it's I think it's going to be you know fun and exciting. Now here's the thing about Iowa State at night cuz um you know everyone's like oh Iowa State at night Iowa State at night is 8 and 6 under Matt Campbell. They are 7 and 3 in their last 10. At home at night, but they are only one in three in their last four. So last year, they lost both of their home night games against K State and Texas Tech when they had their off bad season. Uh, they went four and eight last year. That was a disappointment. And then they've split their night games this year, they beat um, TCU. At home at night, they lost to Kansas at home at night. So there's the one and three in their last four. But seven and three in their last ten. It's not um, you know, it's it's not like going into the Coliseum with a bunch of lions. But you gotta be sharp, you gotta be on point. And let's let's see. Let's see if the Texas culture is is wired in from, from the jump, and even if if it is a, a slow four corners fist fight, then everyone's intensity should stay on high. It's when this team gets up 20 and they start playing a little bit more zone and keeping stuff stop, and Sark said that yesterday. Sark said that. We need to be tighter in our coverage. Finally, he said it. And so I'm expecting to see it. Don't, you know, don't dance around it. You, you get what you demand. You get what you coach. And so you got to stay aggressive. And this this defense got to stay aggressive. That's That's who they are. That's, that's what they want. So don't, don't try to teach them. I mean, I I know, I know you can't, can't play man on every play and they've got man beaters and all that, but this team, this defense plays great when they're swarming the football and playing aggressively. And that's how they need to play. Don't, don't back it up. With threats to our nation waiting around every
2: corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
1: just look at all the time that the horns have been beat deep on defense. It's not very often, you know, I'm thinking about Burton for Alabama. He beat them over the top once in the Kansas game where John A. Barron and Keaton Crawford, when those guys got confused, they got beat over the top. Other than that, everything's been yards after catch type shit, you know, like guys having it in their hands where like Savion Williams catching that just quick comeback route and then absolutely just leaping over Derek Williams to get extra yards like those things can't happen you know when you see Ryan Watts and Michael Tav get absolutely juked against Kansas State like missing tackles when they're just playing that soft coverage you know it's it does look preventish CB like it's weird it's weird that they play tight at certain points of the game, and then when they get up, they just kind of, you know, take the foot off the gas, no pun intended. And it's like, guys, like, keep it up. Y'all aren't getting beat deep, you know? Like, so how about we... Uh, Don't allow the little short stuff, the little crossing stuff, you know, the quick stuff, anything yards after catch and make the tackle. Like, let's stay closer to guys so we can make the tackle easier. Once it gets in their hands, boom, you're making the hit. Not once it gets in their hands, catch it and then we're 10 yards away. So we have to run and go get the guy. Now he has momentum to do all types of shifts and, you know, just break and tackle ability like that's That's what's weird. You know, when you get up by 20 and then the defense just gets a little just soft, just flat out soft. Like that's that's been just a weird thing with Pete Kukowski and this defense, knowing how many studs they got back there. I mean, you got Jade Barrett, Jalen Ford, Javondre Sweat and, you know, the other guys are stepping up. So believe in that. Like when you got those type of studs, you should be able to play a more aggressive defense for the whole game you know, like just because you're up doesn't mean that you need to stop playing what got you up in the first place. That shit don't make no sense. Like you keep that up, make them adjust to you. And once they adjust to you, then you can make those adjustments and maybe start playing off a little bit. But till then they got to prove it. The offense has to prove that they can move the ball when you're playing high and tight. And until they do that, then don't make no adjustments. But yeah, that's been up from U of H to Kansas State to TCU, obviously Oklahoma. That's been a serious issue, and I don't understand why, because I think they got, like, I believe in Malik Muhammad. I believe in Gavin Holmes. I believe in Derek Williams. Like, yes, they're going to make mistakes. They're human. But overall, they're, they've been solid all year long. So this coaching staff, they got to trust that for four straight
0: quarters. Right, and you're starting to see them question themselves, and that's yeah. – that's what is the most concerning because the sign of a well-coached team is week-to-week improvement. Like everybody needs to be playing better than they were at the Red River shootout, and we're not seeing that in all instances. And so, you know, they got to get on the same page. Pete Wieckowski, uh Terrence, Joseph, that's right. Call him by his government name, Chip. That's what I'm talking about. Blake, Blaketh Gideon.
1: Blakeith.
0: <laughs> Come on, Blake. Your position is the one that's leaking oil the most. Let's yeah. let's get it right. So, get that's these guys playing. What's confidence.
1: what's um Jay and Callan looking like?
0: I think he's I think he's gonna play. I Think he's gonna play this week. Um, like I said, I'll know more after Wednesday's practice, but, um, I think he's, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to try and give it a go. And that's, that helps because, you know, he's a, he's a veteran. He knows what he's looking at and he can communicate. That's the best part about Jalen Catalan is he's an effective communicator. He doesn't need Johnny Barron to tell him. What's going on? He can see it and communicate it. So that's, uh, and he's not foolproof. I mean, he got, he got, he kind of got suckered on the Dylan Gabriel uh, QB draw. They hadn't shown a lot of that against, you know, OU hadn't shown a lot of the quarterback run game that they ended up using in that game. But don't think for one second that Iowa State won't, use some of that with Rocco Beck. There I would fully expect some quarterback draw and some you know QB power and waggle and stuff where they're going to get him out and give him run pass options. So you know this is a this is just I'm expecting to see a Texas team with electricity Saturday night. You're two games away from playing for the championship. If you come out sluggish, I don't even know what's going on. They've been they've been really good. They've been a for the most part they've been a fast starting team. Let's uh let's bring in our man Chris Hummer. Hummer, we are so thankful that you're uh taking some time for us because what a week. I mean, Jimbo Fisher out. At AM, everybody's you know, trying to project what Quinn Ewers is gonna do next year. I I wrote in my insider or in the insider a week ago that it was 50-50. And and then, you know, everybody else is like, hey, he's coming back, blah blah blah. I do think that the NFL evaluation will will be considered, but um, we got a lot to talk about, my
3: friend. Yeah, slow, slow week and slow time in college football, y'all. Uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. Yeah, I saw all the Quinn stuff this morning, which was interesting. Chip, I know you've been all over that, as you said. So, uh, yeah, never well, boring in college football. And it's only going to get more hectic here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let's,
0: let's start with, uh, Jimbo because this just looks like a mess. Um you know ANM fires him after a 51-10 win because they don't want him to beat Abilene Christian and god forbid beat LSU and be on a three-game winning streak when they dump him.
3: Um your thoughts on Jimbo? Um su- not surprised, I will say. Um I've heard for a while now that ANM has been gathering the money to fire Jimbo Fisher. Um surprised by the timing, certainly. I I've been hearing kind of back and forth things on Jimbo, including the idea that if he beat LSU, there was enough of a roster intact. There was a quarterback that's been hurt most of the year on the roster that could really help elevate it, that you give him through 2024 and you give him that shot. But I don't, I mean, the a fan base, much like the Texas fan base is not a patient one. Um, we all know that. And I think there was just such a dissatisfaction with seven and five, eight and four, again being the standard at Texas A&M, that they felt like they had to make a move to get out in front of it. And like I don't think it should be lost on anybody that Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC next year, and that doesn't seem like it's relevant. But I don't think there's a more important game for Texas A&M than that game they'll play against Texas and College Station next year. And I think Texas A&M wants to be in the best position to potentially win that game, but also to be in the best position to deal with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC at a time when they're supposed to be elevating. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think all of this is motivated by that. I think all of this is motivated by a need around the administration for a change. And I just felt like they think it was the right time. I I don't necessarily know if I agree, but um, they were willing to need $75 million, and I'm definitely a Definitely can't uh, fault somebody for taking a swing that big. Yeah.
1: So, Hummer, who wants that job? Because it sounds pretty toxic right now with just all the pressure, with Texas coming in to the SEC. And they literally just paid the guy off $76 million to not coach. So, what coach wants to jump into that? Like, who makes sense? We heard about Dan Lanning talking about he has unfinished business in Eugene still, and you know you hear Lane Kiffin's name being thrown around and Dion, and just what what really makes sense for the next and them hire.
3: Well, I, I will say. Like AM is a hornet's nest, but it's also a hornet's nest where they were willing to pay $75 million to get rid of somebody. So, like, you're not going to lack for resources. That makes A&M an extremely enticing job. And while AM is no longer the only team in Texas in the SEC, like AM has proven they can recruit an elite level um, thanks to their combination of location and, um, frankly, NIL dollars. Um, so this is a school capable of recruiting a number one overall recruiting class and you can't say that for many places I think it's probably seven or eight schools period that are capable of recruiting a number one overall class and AM is one of them so it's a really appealing job it's just kind of an interesting cycle I don't know if there's a slam dunk candidate I think Dan Lanning would have been that guy um, and I mean I never trust a coach when he says something about a coaching rumor because they lie all the time so I wouldn't Yeah, you said zero chance, right? Yeah, I think I don't know what those exact words were, but yeah, he said he's not leaving Oregon. But I believe Bobby Petrino pretty famously said he was never leaving the Falcons and then he was in Arkansas the next day. Remember Nick Saban saying a very similar thing about the Dolphins, and you go on and on and on, right? Alabama. Yes. Yes. Um, And it it happens all the time. Um, But I think the two most likely. Candidates for this job, and the two names I've heard the most are Mike Elko, Duke's head coach, former ANM defensive coordinator under Jimbo Fisher, and then Jeff Trailer, name we're all familiar with in Texas. Uh, UTSA's head coach, um, state championship-winning high school coach, former assistant at Texas, SMU, Arkansas, among the places, won two conference USA championships back to back, and now has UTSA at six and zero in the American in his first year there. Um, so those are the two guys I've heard the most. And I, I mean, along with Lane Kiffin, but uh, Lane Kiffin finds his way into every head coaching job. Um, he's got a hell of an agent over there. Um, and I think he works that the best he can. So those would be the four main names on the radar for me, at least right now.
0: Yeah. And the the, the tricky part, the part that no one talks about at AM because they're so aligned and they don't talk bad about themselves is John Sharp, the AM system chancellor, who's they're looking for their fifth president since 2020. I mean, they've been through three athletic directors since 2016. Um, I think if you talked to the presidents who've been at AM, they'll tell you they're not the president. Sharp is. If you talk to Eric Hyman, who was the athletic director at AM when they renovated Kyle Field, he'd tell you. I wasn't the athletic director. John Sharp was. John Sharp just needs to put himself in as president and athletic director and run the whole damn thing because he is the Wizard of Oz over there. And he takes all the credit. I mean, he stupidly was the one who gave Jimbo the plaque that's, you know, national championship plaque and said, you fill in the date. He takes credit for all the. You know, he was out front on the stadium renovation. He was out front on SEC move. He never wanted Texas there because he wakes up every day trying to figure out how to, you know, push Aggie land ahead of the 40 acres. I just It just doesn't feel... I mean, the roster looks great. The facilities look great. I just don't know if it's a good place to work, Hummer.
3: I mean, I, mean, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, And I really wonder what's going to get engraved on that plaque. Like, I think like fifth place in the college football playoff might be like the best thing <laughs> after that, uh, after that run. So I'll be curious, but I mean, you could really say the same thing about Texas at times. Like I'm not, it was, yeah. From I'm not trying to point. hit a hornet's nest in Austin by like comparing Texas to Texas A&M. But like, if you had talked to somebody at the end of the Steve Patterson era in the middle of it, people would have been saying a lot of the same things about how um, the 40 acres is run. And I mean, frankly, and, Sure, Tom Herman would probably tell you the same things about how the 40 acres was run at the end of his run, too, um, because of everything that went around that. And I think winning cures everything in college football. Um, and if you can win at AM, which the reason why it's so appealing, as we talked about earlier, was all the resources, like it's the place that you could stay for a very long time. And I think coaches like are always gonna take that chance because what's the worst that can happen, right? Like the worst that can happen is you get. Millions and millions of dollars to get told to go away, so like, there's no real bad outcome for a coach other than like a little embarrassment. But like, you can embarrass me all you want if you're gonna hand me a 75 million dollar check, you know what I mean? Unreal, like, so yeah, I think I think AM is still an appealing job because AM is one of probably like 12 jobs in the country you can win a national championship realistically, and I think most coaches, if they can get one of those jobs, would crawl to it,
1: yeah. Chris, where do you think it completely went wrong for Jimbo? I mean, we knew his offense was dated, which is why he had to bring in by Petrino. We knew that, you know, just with all those five-star guys, there's just been a lot of distractions, guys racing in parking lots and stuff. And you hear rumors about them smoking weed in locker rooms. Just a lot of bullshit over there at College Station. And I don't know. It just seems like certain... Other guys like a hardball or Dabo, they got more time to make their team a championship qualifying team. And you could say that Jimbo did not.
3: Yeah. I mean, shout out to 100 mile an hour parking lot joyride, um, parking garage joyride, by the way. Parking garage. That's You're, you're it. correct about that. Parking garage. Uh, legendary moment in uh, social media history. But, um, I think it didn't work for a lot of reasons. I think Chip laid out some of them earlier. Um, it's kind of, I wouldn't say a dysfunctional administration, but it's an administration that has a lot working against it, but I don't think Jimbo Fisher did himself any favors. Um, I think the coaching staff he put together was pretty combustible. Um, a lot of really big personalities. Um, Rod and DJ Durkin, Steve Adazio. Um, the people made fun of Bobby Petrino this year, but I think that's actually worked out decently well, but like he has some big, big personalities on his staff that certainly clashed at times. And I think more than anything, it comes down to stubbornness for Jimbo Fisher. Um, he was really unwilling his entire tenure to give the reins of the offense to somebody else. And his offense, which is a West Coast system um, that has been really effective at times, obviously. like The 2013 Florida State team is one of the best teams in college football history, and it ran that exact same system with a quarterback named Jameis Winston. But when you don't have somebody as talented as Jameis Winston running your system, you got to make some adjustments. Um, Even like the best year Jimbo Fisher had was in 2020 with Kellen Mond. And even then, like Jimbo Fisher was unwilling to let Kellen Mond do a lot of the stuff that Kellen Mond does really well, which is frankly running the football. It's a strength for him. And I think, Jimbo's unwillingness to bend and his rigidity and how he operates a system was outdated. And I think it ultimately cost him the job because with the Athletes a had on its roster, there are just so many ways you could um, attack that with modern football. And I don't know if Jimbo Fisher was always willing to do that. Well, Hummer, we got to
0: get your take on Texas. They had another nail-biter after holding a 20-point lead. Now Jonathan Brooks is done for the year with the ACL tear um, and they head off to Ames for a night game uh, with Quinn Ewers playing, you know, with a AC joint sprain. It's not gone. It's going to be a problem for the rest of the season, reg- regular season for sure. Um, your thoughts on the Longhorns and and what state they're in?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting thing Um, I think if you were if you were on the outside of like the Austin area and you were looking inward at Texas, you'd probably think that this is. um, A football team that's taken a step and it has in a lot of ways um, just because of the Alabama result and running under like mostly unscathed so far in the Big 12. But there's some like really big problems that are starting to bubble to the surface a little bit. I think the secondary continues to be a major cause for concern. Um, I think the offense about Jonathan Brooks is going to struggle. I think at times when Xavier Worthy and Ad Mitchell aren't bailing out the offense on um, the pass game, the pass game has struggled. I think Texas struggles to generate pressure outside of the two beasts they have in the interior. Um, but at the end of the day, like. Texas is in the Big 12, and the Big 12 is the most gettable league in the country right now, at least in terms of the Power Five. And while Ames, Iowa is a really difficult place for Texas to play, I believe they've lost three of the last four there. Um, Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, They're playing a team in Iowa State that lost probably like three of their seven best players in the preseason to gambling issues. Um, And in a week, they're playing a Texas Tech team that um, lost to starting quarterback in the years is really banged up and is sitting at, I think five and five. So it's not exactly a rigorous schedule, um, but I think Texas will like, I mean, pardon the pun with injuries, Texas is going to have to limp through the finish line this year, but I still don't really see a reason why with the way the schedule sets up, Texas shouldn't at least be in the conversation for the college football playoff. Um, when the final rankings are released, like they should be, favored in every single one of these games down the stretch. And it's up to Texas to continue to find a way to figure out to finish games.
1: Yeah. A lot of Texas fans were hoping that Oregon and Washington went down to Southern Cowan, Utah, and that did not happen. Hummer, what did you see in Oregon's dub and Washington's dub in those games?
3: Well, Washington just continues to be a team that squeaks by. Um, I mean, Texas and Washington in that way, and really Florida State have that in common. Like, um, obviously Texas has a loss, and the other two programs don't. But they're playing a ton of close games, and I don't think... I mean, in the Texas case, you can tell, because they've blown three 20-point leads in the last four weeks. But the other two teams, like, they end up winning by bigger margins than the game would actually show. Um, Washington's defense is a real problem. Um, They're kind of like a... uh, like a luxury brand USC in a way, right? Like, nicer reputation but the same issue elite offense with a problematic defense um and michael Penix isn't playing quite as well as he was early in the year um and i think if you're looking for one of those five undefeated teams to lose this week washington is by far the most likely on the road against oregon state um as for oregon i think oregon's just really freaking good like it wouldn't shock me at all if oregon ran the table finished with one loss and beats Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. I think Oregon is legit, and I would be surprised if Oregon didn't win that game if those two teams played again. Mm -hmm. So when you look at uh, this this week's
0: schedule, um, Georgia at Tennessee. Missouri kind of took some of the... Sting out of the possibility of Tennessee doing something in this game, but um, your thoughts on on Georgia and if they are on
3: any kind of upset alert this week? i don't I don't think so. I think what we saw yesterday or Saturday was Georgia finally having Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers healthy together in the same starting lineup. And that makes a huge difference. Um, Georgia also obviously has other weapons, but Ladd McConkey and Ladd mcconkey I'm going to pronounce that wrong, and Brock Bowers are two of the most dynamic slot and interior threats in the country. And when you put the outside receivers, they have Donna McLovitt, Ra um, Ra Thomas, and quite a few others um, on the field together at the same time. Like, Georgia is really difficult to deal with. And that Georgia defense that wasn't really playing up to Georgia's standards during the year. Is quietly playing a lot better um, the last couple of weeks. And I think all of that is a really bad combination for Tennessee. Tennessee struggles to run the ball consistently against good competition. That's a problem against Georgia. Tennessee has a quarterback that is inconsistent and throws a lot of picks. That's a bad idea against Georgia. And Tennessee's defense, which is really good against the run, can be exposed deep, which is also a problem against Georgia. I think if you Combine all of those things together, I think Tennessee's going to have a really tough time this week. All right, Hummer, Kyle asks, hypothetical
1: question. You'll answer them, Hummer, even though Steve Sarkeesian doesn't answer hypothetical questions. He said that after the TCU game on Saturday. But what if Texas wins out and Bama beats Georgia handedly?
3: I think it depends on what everything, what everybody else does nationally. Um, let's, I guess if we're just going to play the scenario out, let's say the Big Ten has an undefeated team. Uh, Florida State runs the table. They're very likely to do so. And then you have a one loss Pac 12 champion. So you would have a one loss Pac 12 champion in, let's say, Oregon, a one loss Pac 12 or one loss SEC champion in Bama, and a one loss or Big 12 champion in Texas. I think Oregon gets in. Um, Maybe Oregon gets left out, but I think Oregon, the way it's playing, gets let in in that case. And then it's Texas versus Bama. Um, I don't see how you could leave Texas out. I think head-to-head results matter, but I've seen the committee um, ignore head-to-head before in some cases. I, I wish I had a perfect answer for you there. I think I would pick Oregon and Texas to make the playoff and the SEC gets left out in general, but that's never happened before, so it's probably a stupid prediction. But I would think and I would hope the committee would honor a head-to-head win, especially a head-to-head win on the road in Texas' case. So, what is Texas, what is Longhorn
0: Nation cheering for, Hummer? The, The ideal way that the regular season finishes, the conference championship games finish, what are
3: they putting on their Christmas wish list? I mean, I think more than anything, you would love Florida to beat Florida State here in a couple of weeks. That would make things a lot easier on Texas. Um, or Louisville beats Florida State in the ACC championship game. If that's the case, then I think Texas is more than likely to end with one loss, no matter what. Um, I think it would be great for Texas if one of the two Big Ten teams dropped a game this weekend. Uh, Michigan has Maryland. Ohio State has Minnesota. I don't see that happening. Uh, which is potentially problematic for Texas because I can see a scenario where Michigan and Ohio State play a close game and the loser of that game sitting at 11-1 and has a strong argument to get in the playoff over a one-loss Texas or a one-loss Pac-12 champion. Um, and, I mean, if we're being frank, like I think Texas more than anything would also love for the Pac-12 to start catching some losses. Um, I think a one-loss Washington is really unappealing. Um, given the way they've had to win close games this year. Um, If Oregon lost to Oregon State here in two weeks, that would be a really big deal for Texas too. So if I was a Texas fan, I'd be rooting for pretty much everybody to take an L except Alabama. Yeah.
1: How impressed were you, Michigan, going to Happy Valley and beating Penn State? I mean, running the ball the whole time in the second quarter. I know they had a pass interference call, but other than that, they just pounded those uh, Nitty Lions just down their throat. It was brutal, and you have coaches crying and shit. Pretty dramatic, if you ask me. But whatever, they got the dub. Their CFP hopes are still intact. How impressive was that Wolverine dub, Hummer?
3: Yeah, man. Just also, Jerome Moore just cursing live on Fox Man. This is a children's show over here with college football. I'm just kidding. No, it was was great. Um, I think Michigan showed a medal that championship teams have. Um, It felt like really old school football. I think they ran the ball 32 straight times to end the game. And just sitting there on the couch, I was like, it wouldn't hurt you to throw a play action pass every once in a while, but it really... It really felt like Michigan just wanted to prove a point by running the ball down their throats the whole time. And I think Michigan showed a toughness that championship teams need to have. I think Michigan showed uh, ability to block out the noise that championship teams have. And I think Michigan showed that they're one of the two best teams in the country besides Georgia. I felt that way all year. I still feel like I would pick Michigan in a neutral site game against Georgia. And I think Michigan in two weeks against Ohio State is going to show a similar medal. I would pick Michigan in that game too. I think Michigan's really embraced um, internally that Michigan versus the world mindset. I know you see that on t-shirts and stuff, but like they really feel that way inside that building. And I think Michigan is really motivated and that Penn State game exemplified that. Although if there was like one thing coming out of that game that you want to be, if you're concerned with about Michigan, it's that. Uh, those offensive tackles for Michigan, especially um, the right tackle, really struggled against the speed rush. And Ohio State has plenty of edge guys that can get after the passer pretty quick. So I'll be, I'll be watching that certainly, but I was pretty impressed by Michigan.
0: Hummer, with two weeks left in the regular season, this is when the Heisman Trophy voters tend to really start to narrow down their list. who Who would be your top three?
3: I think Jaden Daniels is number one, LSU's quarterback. Um, if you look at his numbers, they're very comparable, actually better in a lot of ways, to Robert Griffin in 2011 and Lamar Jackson in 2016. Both of those quarterbacks won the Heisman, um, leading three lost teams. And I think Jaden's just playing at a level as a quarterback that no other quarterback nationally is. Um, he's carrying LSU, and I don't really think you should punish him uh, for losing three games where his defense gave up an average of 47 points a game, um, and then I think it's Michael Penix and Bo Nix, two and three. At least, at least to me, those three quarterbacks would be at the top of uh, top of my ballot.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be be interesting. I mean, these last couple games are going to have a big influence on on how things turn out. So we don't have a runaway candidate this year. It's kind of cool.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's wide open. And I think had J.J. McCarthy not only gotten to throw the ball eight times on Saturday, he would be much more <laughs> in the conversation um, because I think J.J. McCarthy was going to be given a stage here um, in two weeks against Ohio State where he would have been swept up in that. But when you combine that lack of throwing a bit, throwing opportunity and the Michigan scandal, I don't see J.J. McCarthy winning it. And I think you could probably say the same thing about Carson Beck. I think uh, the Georgia talent around him um, turns a lot of voters off. So I think there are other places where voters can go and it, it does feel more wide open than it has in a long time.
1: All right, Hummer. Does Oregon state have any chance to take down the Huskies this week? As Rio 1492 says, those angry beavers are dangerous.
3: Angry beavers definitely are dangerous. Um I one time my dad hit a beaver in Iowa um, on the road. Um, that was it was like 80 pounds, like oh. made it down in the car. Beaver was definitely angry, wouldn't have messed with that thing. So, <laughs> anyway, not an important story, but just something I always remember about beavers. Um, and I think Oregon State is pretty well set up to potentially win this game. The game's at home in Corvallis, which is huge. I think Oregon State has the run game to slow the game down against Oregon or against Washington. I think Oregon State has a defense, a top 30 unit nationally, that's at least good enough to slow down Michael Penix. To me, it really comes down to how well DJ Uwe Angalele plays. If he plays well, um, doesn't turn over the ball. I think Oregon State has an excellent chance of pulling this upset. Um, I think you could even make an argument Oregon State should be favored at home. Um, Yeah, Vegas also has a a two-and-a-half-point favorite, has Oregon State. Wow. Okay. So there you go. I didn't realize Vegas had him favored. I haven't looked through the lines yet this week. So, yeah, I mean, I think Oregon State's perfectly capable of it. Washington, I believe, has won like four or five straight games by a possession or less. Like, after a while, that catches up to you, unless you're TC last year, I suppose. Um, and I think there's definitely a chance Oregon State or Washington is on upset alert this week. I'm All right, say. Hummer. Texas. Minus seven and a half at
0: Iowa State. Your thoughts?
3: Weird stuff happens in Ames. Like I don't I don't know if I have any thoughts. Like Texas should win this game. Like, but if Texas keeps coughing up the ball the way it has, if Texas keeps um struggling to hold leads like it has, like I could pretty easily see an upset. Um night game in Ames is just a scary proposition. I think it's gonna be like what, thirty degrees on Saturday night? Mm. Like not a not a good environment uh, for a bunch of Southern kids, um, and Southerners. Um, thankfully, I'm not making that road trip like I'm sure Chip is. Um, that's weather's not for me. Um, I would still pick Texas. I just don't. I just don't think Iowa State has the horses to pull this upset. Um, this isn't even like last year's team where they had a pretty elite receiver that made things difficult for Texas in that game. Like this Iowa State team is winning because of a solid defense, good coaching. And a really strong run game, um, and it's really hard to run against Texas. I think that is the thing that has been most consistent about Texas all year. It's very hard to run against them. And while the Jonathan Brooks injury news really does hurt, um, I still think Texas is going to be able to run against that three-three-five John Heacock front. Um, I don't know if I picked Texas to cover, but I do think Texas wins on Saturday.
0: I'm intrigued to see Jaden Blue a little bit. You know, that kid seems to have a. Uh you know, a pretty good sized chip on his shoulder. He's trying to show everybody he can, he can do it. I know, I don't know how much they trust him in blitz pickup. And with Quinn Ewers in the state that he's in, I, I told Zay, my biggest concern at running back is blitz pickup. Cause you've got to protect Quinn Ewers.
3: Absolutely. Um, and with an AC joint, not an injury of ever experience, but if you jostle that thing the wrong way, it could be a really long, long evening for Quinn Ewers and, um, I, the thing I, I wonder about Quinn is, like, um, if he gets hit a couple times, like, does he start getting happy feet again? Like, we've seen much more consistency out of Quinn Ewers this year, but um, an injury last year really caused that, and that's when the turnovers really started to pile up. And um, if Texas can avoid turning over the football and keep Quinn Ewers clean, like, I think they win this game pretty handily, but uh, that's not been the easiest thing for Texas all season.
0: Yeah. Hummer? You're the man. What, uh, just uh, your gut instinct, do you think Quinn Ewers is back next season?
3: Um, I don't know if I have a gut instinct on that one, Chip. Um, yeah. I think it's closer to 50-50 than 90-10, um, like you reported, I will say that. I think a lot of it, Um, it's it's an interesting QB class. Like, obviously, Caleb Williams and Drake Mayer are at the top of it. But and then you got guys like Michael Penix, Bo Nix. But I think Quinn Ewers, like, if he can put a couple more good weeks on tape will still be viewed on a different level of um, talent and priority for teams. than some of those like six year seniors, like it's just a different conversation with Quinn compared to some of those guys. So I think it just kind of depends on what the feedback in the draft is um, and how the viewers family feels about it. Because at the end of the day, like he's has a good rest. If he finishes strong the rest of the season, he's probably going to be a first rounder. It's just like, are they comfortable with potentially being a back half of the first round quarterback or do they want to roll the dice and try to come back next year and try to be a top 10 quarterback? Um, and I don't have a first of all on that one, at least right now. Yeah.
1: Last one for me, Homer, before we let you go. How surprised are you that CJ Stroud has already taken over the league, his rookie season?
3: <laughs> Moderately surprised. I mean, this is a, this is a quarterback in college who didn't run, um, I thought he was a system product in a lot of ways. I thought he was being carried by his uh, elite wide receivers, and I was very wrong about that. Um, I mean, CJ Stroud's making music happen with guys like Tank Dell. I'm like, no offense to Tank Dell, but like, CJ's playing lights out. Um, he was the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen in person in terms of seven on seven setting. I remember him lighting up the 2019 opening. He was so freaking good that weekend. And uh, yeah, um, he sees the field really well. He processes and, uh, i'm a little jealous as a dallas cowboys fan to be honest
0: <laughs> hummer you're the best man we look forward to it every week thanks so much absolutely y'all thanks so much
1: thanks i right. appreciate you
0: chris hummer national college football writer for 24 7 sports he's a winner just like apple leasing is a winner and here's the thing some of you are like i can't afford a new car i can't afford a new car I can't afford... okay hold on a minute Let's talk about Apple leasing because Apple leasing is going to get you into a better car than you thought you could afford because you're not paying for the future trade-in value of that car. And you're getting into a brand new car. You're picking everything, the interior, the exterior, any make or model of car, and that is where the magic happens. They don't care what car you pick. They just want you to be happy. They're going to ask you questions to make sure that you're getting the car that is going to make you happy. They'll, They'll talk it out with you you know, in terms of what your needs are. you hauling kids around, you hauling stuff around for work, um, you know, and then you're going to get into a car. It's brand new. It's under warranty. You're loving it. And if in a couple of years you decide, you know what, I really want to change make and model of car, no problem. The easy lease. That's what Apple leasing has, the easy lease. If you lease from a dealership, they're not going to let you out of their of the lease agreement because they want you to stay in their car. Apple Leasing does not care about what car you want to drive. They're just going to go get it for you and that's what it, that's where the magic happens. So, take it from me, I've been a client for 15 years. Give them a call. 346-9977. appleleasing.com. Whether you want your payments in the $400 range or a Range Rover, they're going to get it for you. Appleleasing.com. All right, Zay, a um, lot of lot of stuff going on. And you know, the uh, there's there's a tricky element to the Quinn Ewers, you know, is Quinn Ewers staying or going story. And that is, you know, Quinn may feel one way, his family may his dad may feel another. And that's where you have to give yourself some wiggle room because I've said previously, I don't think it was totally Quinn Ewer's idea to leave early to go to Ohio State and take NIL money. And I do think Quinn wants control of the decision making now. And if you asked him right now with a busted up AC joint in his shoulder, yeah, he's going to say... I'm probably coming back. Um, but there's, he has not, he has not gotten his evaluation from the NFL, um, which he will get. And that's going to have a big influence because they're going to tell him if he's a first or second round pick. If you're not a first or second round pick, they tell you to go back to school. So that will have a lot to do with it. And I think you know, when I reported a week ago 50,50, I feel like that's still where we are. There's a lot that has to play out. And so I think um, you know, I get uh, I get the reports flying around. One report came out saying he was, you know, 90 percent gonna come back to Texas. He might end up coming back to Texas, but there's still a lot of stuff that is going to play out here. So, um, you know, when you really stop and consider the fact that A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, J.T. Sanders are probably all moving on to the NFL. um, He's starting over at skill, talent, that kind of thing, going into the SEC, um, you know, this this will play out, so I think uh, stay tuned is what I would say to everyone who's curious about this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
1: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, there's a lot of football to play. I mean, if it works out in Texas's favor, like everybody wants it to, then Texas makes the college football playoff. And if Quinn Ewers lights up the college football playoff, whether that's they play two games or one in the CFP, then... I think his decision should be based on that. I don't think he could go out and say right now, with a lot of season left to play, that he's coming back or going to the league. You know, I don't, I don't believe that one bit until I hear Quinn Ewers in the press conference say something. Then I ain't gonna really believe much. And I think he's not focused on that right now. He's focused on this season and potentially getting the horns a Big 12 championship, something that hasn't been done in a very long while, and go from there. You know, I mean, with the AC joint and all these things, you know, he's been injury prone. We know the hernia situation that he dealt with in high school. Like, Quinn Ewers, it's been a while since he's played a full year of healthy football, you know. And if I'm an NFL scout, I'm wondering, man, if he's getting hurt on the high school and college level, then what happens when Aaron Donald sits on his ass? (laughs) Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a whole different game. That's a whole different ball game. They might let them know, like, hey, bro, I know you cut back on the Chick-fil-A, but you want to get to the next level. You might want to start eating it again. You know what I'm saying? You might need
0: some cane protein from a yeah, yeah. man, John Brown.
1: Exactly. That cane protein, which Amirah had himself another big-time game. Shout-out to your Lions getting that three-point dub against the Chargers. But I, think I digress a little bit. Quinn, yours? Yeah, I – Again, he has all the potential in the world. I still think that he has some struggles in the college game of just, you know, processing things. And sometimes some of these passes are like, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you looking at? Kind of like the interception that he threw where we're not talking about it very much because we were talking about Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy.
0: Yeah, Jordan Whittington and Worthy tracking down that uh, interception and forcing the fumble so that you don't really see uh, the damage or, you know, there wasn't damage. I think there was an exchange of about three yards on that play from where they started to where they finished. But, yeah, he hung it up there and the safety got over and picked it off. Yeah. And then he went back to it and he threw a little tighter, you know, a little more of a rope and Worthy, perfect pass, Worthy caught it. Um, that should have been a touchdown. How
1: did he fall? What happened there? Like, come he, said on, he, was still,
0: he said he was still tired from having just raced to recover the fumble.
1: That's fair. That's fair. He don't
0: come out the game much, so I get it. Yeah.
1: Get it. And he said he was winded because when he recovered the fumble, I think he got the air knocked out of him a little bit because he went flying awesome you know, Eddie Guerrero Frog Splash type shit WWE stuff and yeah I get it again Zay ain't you know what a buck 60 soaking wet 65 yeah, they you know, 165 you 162
0: Ooh,
1: yeah that's light That's light. So that's why I'm so impressed with how aggressive he's been with the ball in his hands, man. Like, he will stiff arm you. He will juke you. He'll lower his shoulder to get extra yardage. He knows he's not going to run over anybody. But to get an extra few yards for your team, that says a lot to me. That says how much you wanted and, you know, how tough you are. Because his toughness was questioned, especially last year. The dude had a broken freaking hand, which we only found out towards the end of the year or after the season and excuse me, and everybody, Longhorn Faithful, they were like, what the hell! what is he doing out there? This and that. And like, well, the dude's tough. You can't help him being tough. If he says that he could play, then with all the options that you had last year, throw him out there and let it roll. Do I think Quinn Ewers could have threw it to other guys more like Jordan Winnington and JT Sanders? Yeah, but... If what we're seeing now of Xavier Wordy, if that could have happened last year, you definitely would have taken that Horns fans. It just didn't. And now Xavier Wordy's really showing his ass, 10 catches, 137 yards in Fort Worth. Like, and the the uh, uh, the game plan is to stop him and to slow him down. He gets back bracket coverage all the time. Like he had the number one corner for on him, shadowing him the whole game. Like that's real old school, uh Chip. Like they had him following Xavier Worthy, Josh Newton all game long. Guys don't really do that. They kind of get away from that because they don't want to mess up everybody else's assignments. Like Sonny Dykes was like, "Hell no, we're gonna put our best guy on their best guy because he's that dangerous." And that should be a salute to Xavier Worthy and how good he is.
0: Yeah, and he he uh, drew two penalties from Josh Newton in the first half and yep. and on third down. I mean people forget TCU committed three third down penalties in in that game to extend drives for Texas and um that that's rare yeah. that's rare when a team commits three third down penalties to extend drives so that helped Texas build that 26 to 6 lead it wasn't remember Texas went 2 of 8 on third and 3 or shorter that's scary. Yep. Yeah. And the worst call of all was that third and one bubble screen. But we've we've beaten that horse until it's lifeless. Um oh, that
1: horse still alive.
0: Yeah, My don't man, ever do that, I'm that again. Sorry, we, I'm still caller. beating
1: that damn horse. That horse still alive, man. And we're probably making some of some Malvin eating that thing. That's how bad it was. Like I get it. Jonte Cook, you want to give him some reps, but we could do it at better times, Sark. Read the room, read the game. Jonathan Brooks just had a nine-yard run. Let's give it to him again. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just...
0: Well, and you were... He's still still not seeing the field completely because he had a third down play to Worthy where he was double covered. And Jordan Whittington, you know, he was just short of the sticks, but there was no one around him. Like, if you'd had thrown it to Whittington, he turns upfield, he gets the first down. And that that part still bothers me. It's like, it's like yours has, and, and, and you know, he threw it 10 times to him in the OU game. I get that. But there are times where Whittington is just wide open underneath and they don't see him. And so that, that part of yours game needs to, maybe it'll improve now with the injury. Maybe he's more aware. I don't know, but that, he's got to know where his security blankets are, know where his bailouts are and, and not try to, you know, make those hero throws. Uh, I get it. these electric. So is AD Mitchell, but sometimes you just got to take what the defense has given you. And that's usually Jordan Whittington on a crosser. So, um, or an outright.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that play that you bring up, it wasn't like Xavier Worthy wasn't open. He just lofted it and made it right. a jump ball between Xavier Wordy and Josh Newton. And then he allowed the safety to come over and be a part of it, too. Like, that was a weird ball, which, yeah, you're right. It should have went to Jordan 10, but... Xavier Worthy was open. He just didn't throw it the right right way. Like, it should have been, it should have had a lot more heat on it to where Xavier Worthy could catch it in stride going towards the sideline, but he had to stop and jump for it. And, yeah, that was just a bad play. And going to Ames, like, you got to make that throw or you got to take the easy stuff. Like, Jordan Winnington and Jatavion Sanders, they should be huge in this game. They should be like if you're sending Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy up the field 20 yards and they're going to get all the attention, and those guys underneath who are on one on one coverage, they should be able to beat their man. And when they have the ball in their hands, make something happen. They're capable. Jordan Whittington showed you that in the OU game. Like he is capable of having a big time game when those other two wide receivers I just named five and one when those guys were getting all the attention. So can JT Sanders like JT Sanders bailed Quinn yours out a couple of times in Fort Worth with some passes that worked the best, but JT Sanders is just such a physical specimen. He caught those things and it was allowed and allowed this Texas offense to keep on moving the chains. So, you know, while that's on circuit, AJ Millie letting Quinn know like AJ Millie, that's why you on the field now and not in the booth to let Quinn know. Hey, bro. I know that you were looking at this, but how about you look at JT? How about you look at Jordan Winnington? Those guys are open. Maybe even CJ Baxter on check down stuff, you know, like that, those things, they gotta happen more. And sometimes, you know, even with Quinn, like which who had a terrific game, you know, not being hundred percent, 23 for 33, as good as he was, there are a couple of throws out there that I know that he wish he would have gotten back.
0: Yeah, and the, the amazing thing, when you watch the game Saturday night, Iowa State plays there, you'll see four guys across behind the three down linemen, and they're about four yards behind the three down linemen, and then you've got the three safeties. And the middle safety is the leading tackler on the team. He's the guy who usually comes down. If you've got Worthy and A.D. Mitchell taking those you know, corners and safeties a little further back, the middle of the field should be there for Jordan Whittington and on out routes usually, but crossers, it's up to Quinn yours to read how they're playing, you know, which safety is going to drop down. And, and so Quinn saw this defense last year, it was a struggle, but he's seen it a lot. I mean, he, he's seen it a lot now because K-State, and TCU also play that three high safety look. So um, this this is a game where Quinn Ewers experience should should come in big. All right, let's uh, let me remind you as we head into the holiday season about great blue heron furniture. <laughs> um, and just go to greatblueheronfurniture.com and see what we're talking about. This is high-end furniture, leather furniture you know, the different shades of leather, the bar stools, the couches, the the love seats, the recliner, and don't forget to use the promo code HOOKEM. That is the Texas Sports Unfiltered promo code. You're going to get 15% off um, your purchase. So make sure that you're using the promo code HOOKEM. And when you're sitting on your great Blue Heron furniture, you need to be watching your big screen from audiovisual consultations. AV consultations, real simple. They bring everything to you. Don't go shopping around for TVs or surround sound. Let Tom and his crew bring everything to you. All you need to do is call 255-8678. Tom has been putting audio visual equipment into your favorite restaurants in Austin for 20 years. Um, let him do it for you. He's done it for me in three different houses. Uh, it's the best. Audio visual consultations 255-8678. All right, let's uh let's bring in our man Hank South of Horns 247. We always like to get Hank's take on the news of the day before we get into recruiting, although the news of the day has a lot of impact on recruiting because obviously Jimbo Fisher getting canned at AM. Um, Hank. With Jimbo out at A&M, um, have you been able to kind of quantify, like, how many kids who were seriously considering Texas before they maybe committed to A&M uh, are in play here? Yeah,
2: it, it's, you know, a handful, at least. Um, when the news broke on Sunday morning, you know, we kind of broke down, um, you know, where Texas was, you know, most in play and we kind of narrowed it down to about five names in terms of Texas A&M's commitment list. And they were um, uh, Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker from Jasper. Dominic McKinley, the defensive lineman from Louisiana. These are all Texas A&M commits. Uh, Miles Davis, the safety from Converse, Texas. Um, Blake Ivey, the offensive tackle from League City. And then uh, I had the, the last ones escaping me. Oh, Terry Bussey, the five-star athlete from uh, Timpson. Um, And so as we kind of dug deeper into those, you know, we we saw Sunday, you know, there was all sorts of Twitter reaction. We saw, you know, the the recruits getting on Twitter, you know, cry face emojis or, you know, thinking emojis, that kind of stuff. You know, you kind of have to navigate that, you know, at your own risk. But um, some of the guys have come out. Dominic McKinley, the four-star defensive lineman, he came out and said he was behind Elijah Robinson, the defensive line coach, so associate head coach, that's now the interim head coach in College Station, um, said he's 100% with them, you know, is the next coach going to retain Elijah Robinson, I think it would be very wise to do so (laughs) if you want to hang on to some of these guys. Um, But, you know, we'll see. I think that would be dependent upon that. Uh, Miles Davis came out, said the same thing. You know, he was locked in. He was all for Coach Robinson, um, said the same thing in his Twitter or his tweet. Uh, Miles Davis is expected to be at the Texas Tech game next Friday. So that's when we've been watching Jimbo Fisher as head coach or not. You know, he's still been talking to Texas. So, that's something we're going to keep an eye on. I think the most interesting one, and, and Jordan Scruggs on Horns 24-7 has been all over this um, since Sunday, is Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker. Um, obviously, Texas doesn't have a linebacker committed um, in this 2024 class. The plan has been to take at least one, um, and, and you know contact has remained with him. Um, Justin Williams, the Georgia commit, but I think with this Jimbo Fisher news, I think that really opens the door for Texas to potentially get it done here with Ty Anthony Smith and flip him into their class. So, you know, I think he is going to wait to see who Texas a uh, and names as their next head coach. I would imagine, you know, that's going to be pre December. You know, they're going to have to have a guy lined up for these, you know, contact period visits in home visits in the month of December. Otherwise this class, the transfer portal, I mean, they're just going to get eaten alive if they don't, in, in my opinion. Um, and that's why I think we saw the news with Fisher on Sunday. So, um, yeah, so I think Ty Anthony Smith, best shot there. Blake Ivy, Terry Bussey, we'll see. Um, I think those are a little bit more outside shots. Um, but yeah, those three. And then, you know, we'll see how it impacts, obviously, Texas a roster, guys looking elsewhere that Texas has recruited in the past um, beyond that. So yeah, definitely a lot of news to cover and unpack there.
1: Yeah, Hank, how surprising is the firing to you? Because you could easily look at the situation, and if I'm Jimbo, I'm saying, hey, I'm finally getting those five-star guys. NIL is working, like... Give me some extra time so I could flip it into something positive. And obviously they were like, hell no, you've had your time. But yeah. you saw the recruiting class in 2022, all the guys that you just named. Like yeah. Texas A&M's never had the number one recruiting class, beating out Alabama and beating the Georgias of the world. And they finally have. And instead of building on that, they got rid of the guy for 75 mil. Like yeah. it seemed pretty drastic. If you ask me for a guy that was, yeah, it's not, you know, Obviously, the expectations are a little unrealistic, but again, he's bringing guys in. He just hasn't been able to develop those five stars that he's brought in yet.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at their classes; they weren't struggling, like you said, they weren't landing. I mean, they have landed the top class before, but um, you know, he's recruited well since he's been been the head coach there. You know, they ha- they haven't had any trouble bringing in elite talent. It just hasn't panned out. They've been so inconsistent. You know, I am surprised. You know, I I thought they'd probably give him at least one more year, especially you know with the changes coming to the SEC you know, you probably want a little bit of stability um, going into that situation. Obviously you're hosting Texas next year, big changes on the horizon. So I was thinking, you know, keep this class together, see what they can do in the portal. You got Wagman back next year, um, you know, see what happens, but obviously, you know, that they want to go in a different direction and it's kind of interesting because, you know, I don't know who they hire that's, like a, a huge splash, you know, outside of maybe Dan Lanning, who's already said he's committed to Oregon. You know, he's not going anywhere, obviously saying and doing is one thing. I He sounds like he's staying at Oregon, uh, but the other, you know, candidates you, you kind of look at, it, it's like, okay, you know, but yeah, I, I was surprised it happened, especially when it happened. But again, I think Sark mentioned it too, you know, they, they, I think the timing here was to, you know, get ahead of this early signing period and you know, try to, you know, keep this class together and, uh, and, you know, see what they can do in the portal. Kind of maybe similar to what, um, you know, Deion Sanders did at Colorado last year when he was able to come in and get some really big names in that, you know, three-week window um, once he got to Boulder.
0: Hank uh, Ike says, Evan Stewart will look great as a lawnmower. <laughs> you think there's any uh and uh kids on the roster who might, end up uh looking elsewhere possibly Evan Stewart yeah I think that's
2: that's the one name I I would mention you know on Texas A&M's roster um and I think we're you know we're gonna wear out his name in the next you know two months it'd be funny to look at like Evan Stewart Texas Longhorn like how much that's being googled right now or something you know the the surge population all that stuff but no I mean obviously he was committed to Texas once um you know, he's going to be, he's going to be fielding some phone calls. I'm sure once this transfer portal window, I mean, it already is open for A&M, you know, they, they can already be actively recruited. So, um you know, I'm sure his camp is busy, you know, we'll see. I, I know, again, I think a lot of these, these kids are going to wait to see who they hire because, you know, if they hire a coach that, you know, throws the ball a lot, um that might be looked like a good spot for him. And so, you know, you, you just got to kind of wait and see, see what they're going to do. But, No, I mean, I I would totally imagine. I think wide receivers of spot Texas definitely wants to dip into the portal potentially for, you know, you got Ryan Wingo. Obviously that's a huge pickup, but again, you're going to be losing guys like Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy, most likely probably Jatavian Sanders. We'll see Jordan Whittington. You're losing your top guys there. Um, So certainly, you know, you want veteran experience if you can get that. And, you know, with a guy like Evan Stewart, that's not just like veteran experience. That's like elite caliber wide receiver one experience. So you know, we'll, we'll see, but um, I, I, I'm i not sure if Texas has reached out yet, um, but I, I would
0: definitely think they'd test the
2: waters with Evan Stewart for sure.
0: Is there, if, if it ends up being a guy like Jeff Trailer or Mike Elko, um, you know, just on the surface from a recruiting standpoint, what, you know, what comes to your mind?
2: Yeah, I th- honestly, I was looking like if they hire Jeff Trailer, you know, I, th- I think, like outsider fans that don't really pay attention to the recruiting landscape and whatnot, they'd be like, "Oh, the UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer." I mean, that would be a home run hire for Texas A and M. That guy is so embedded into the Texas high school football culture. I've never met a person that doesn't love Jeff Trailer. I think Longhorn fans would probably be a little conflicted if he was the head coach at Texas A and M because everyone loves him. Um, and so, you know, I, I think from a recruiting standpoint, and then Elko obviously has ties to A and M. Um, he's done wonders at duke with you know what what they're able to do in terms of recruiting and and who they can get in and you know the conference they play in so i I think both of those either either those guys i think would be a great hire um it would you know be stability proven head coaches guys that can recruit particularly trailer i think in the state of texas you know I, i think they could really probably hold this class together um and and be a lucrative spot for for the transfer portal as well. So I think either of those guys would be a massive uh, massive win um, in terms. You know, if you're comparing it to like, uh, I'm trying to think who else was on the the like Dan Quinn or like Dan Campbell or you know even Lane Kiffin. You know, I'm not I don't it doesn't I don't know if Lane Kiffin would would work at AM. So you know, but
1: who knows. Yeah, he could have his weird dog in Reveille and do the nasty <laughs> on the field. That'd be something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, Hank, Waddell Mac, cornerback. Just flipped from Florida. Now he's going to Texas. That's big time for Sark, getting the four-star guy. And we know Sark. We have talked about it before when you came on Chip and Zay here on Texas Sports Unfiltered about Sark loving those six-foot cornerbacks. You know those Ryan Watts type guys. And yeah, this is a big time flip. Tell us a little something about Mac. Yeah, it was kind of it was really
2: refreshing. It's like as a recruiting reporter when like you talk about somebody for so long and you're like, hey. You know, we, we've been reporting in um, on the Stampede on Horns 24-7, you know, at least five times throughout the fall. You know, there's optimism about Wardell Mack. You know, he's committed to Florida. He's still docking to Florida State. You know, LSU wants to keep him home. But there's optimism around Texas that they can eventually flip him. And, you know, I, I had my crystal ball in Texas when he originally committed to Florida. So I took the early L there, but obviously can't change it after he's committed. So it's, it's refreshing to see that eventually pan out from your reporting, but no a huge win. Um, you know, that, that's been the area of need that, you know, Texas to close out this class, you know, I think defensive line and in uh, the secondary, you know, Kobe black still out there, but Wardell Mack was probably in that top five, if not higher um, you know, priority targets remaining at the high school level. And so, you know, to, to get him on board um, now, huge win. Um you know his scouting report, uh, like you were just saying. You know Stark loves those guys. He, kids from Louisiana, like, are always really good football players. You know, regardless of what classification they play in, even if they're three star, Wardle Mack's a top two four seven kid. But you know, I, I think about Melvin Hills now, the defensive lineman that's committed to Texas. Like, they're always just they're ballers. Like, they, they can just play football. Um, and I, I think you know Wardell Mac. That's his, the first thing on his scouting report on the 247 page is flat out. I wrote it down flat out. Uh, football player. You know, he plays quarterback. He plays. Wide receiver, defensive back, he returns kicks, he can do everything. He's a three-year starter at a pretty big-time program in the New Orleans metro area. And, uh, you know, all these staffs are pushing for him. You know, a guy like Corey Raymond, who had been at LSU, um, knew about him, went to Florida, got him in the class. You know, that says a lot about him, obviously, with the development he's been able to have with defensive backs um, at the next level. Um, I, I think it just kind of that just another indicator of, you know, how highly thought of Wardle Mac was for a lot of college coaching staff. So I know Texas is thrilled to get him. Um, it was a big win for Terry Joseph. You know, he obviously has ties to the state of Louisiana. and uh, I think those play a big role in in uh, in Mac feeling comfortable and and uh, changing his mind on and committing to Texas.
0: You mentioned Kobe Black. I know he was playing the emoji game um after the the jimbo news um, or i I think, I guess. but what uh, What's your read on uh, – your latest read on Kobe Black and especially with the Wardell Mac news? Yeah, I,
2: th- I think, you know, everyone was wondering, you know, is,
0: is that he, – he tweeted it was like, mm, like a bunch of M's. And the
2: thought like, – tw- like Twitter – or Twitter – Twitter deciphering is like the hardest thing to do sometimes. And you kind of just have to, you know, hey, they said this, you know, take it for what you will. But – um, no, I don't think it hurts. You know, I th- those two guys were have been the biggest priority defensive back targets. You know, Kobe Black knows he's, he's wanted in Austin. And, and we've talked about it. He's likely going to probably end up playing safety if he does commit to Texas. So, you know, they're two different positions. Um, and obviously there's going to be competition in that area um, going forward. So, you know, Kobe Black, you know, I, I still like where Texas stands for him. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I know there's been a lot of buzz and people report, you know, if you're, if you're going to commit to a school, you probably should do it before the transfer portal window opens, because you just don't know who's going to be available, what spots are going to fill up. I'm not saying Kobe Black is never going to not going have a spot in this Texas class. But I, I think, you know, you'll probably see kids start to make decisions and maybe feed off of that and decide to, to set commitment dates. But he's told us several times he's not just going to spur of the moment commit. He's going to call a uh, you know a commitment ceremony at his high school. So we should be there when it happens, um, and we'll have more details on that. But um, I still like Texas for Kobe Black. And interestingly enough, Kobe Black's team is playing um, tang Anthony Smith's team this weekend in the playoffs. So Jordan Scruggs is going to
1: be there and should have some good uh, good intel coming out of that game. Hank, with Texas barely squeaking out another dub against TCU, now we all know they're going to be without Jonathan Brooks for the rest of the season. How confident are you in freshman C.J. Baxter just picking up the slack and, you know, helping the Horns get to a Big 12 title? Yeah, it's hard to, you know, just say, you know, he can come in and and pick up the slack because,
2: you know, how impactful Jonathan Brooks was, not just as a, a football player. I think, you know, he's just a locker room guy too. I think guys feed off his energy and, you know, passion he brings so that that's a it's a huge hole to fill but again you know you look back to you know september cj baxter was the starter like i mean he he can play and so now that obviously he's 100 healthy um maybe we can see them really let him loose you know obviously they have a full week of game prep um to you know him as him as the guy um and you know players they can draw up things they can do to get him into space you know we'll we'll see so I, i think he can certainly fill in you know having quinn ewers back is obviously helpful i think I think it'll, it'll, you know, Brooks's impact, you know, in that two-game stretch with Malik Murphy as the starter was, was huge. Just to have that guy back there with you, that's almost like a quarterback kind of in the in the offense, just with what what he can do and the pressure he can kind of take off you. So, you know, I, I think Baxter can certainly fill in. Um, I'm excited to see Jaden Blue. You know, I think he can, you know, give the offense some more spark. Uh, obviously, Keelan Robinson, maybe we'll see play, um, but no, I, I think they can. You know, again, you know, they they have time to prepare for this. Obviously it's not the most ideal time going into a very hostile environment like Ames, Iowa at nighttime, but uh, you know, in a situation where, you know, you, you kind of want to have a strong running game to rely on if, if uh, you know, the passes aren't connecting for yours, but um, they both have enough experience. I think Baxter, you know, can definitely fill in. Well, I don't think he's going to have as big of an impact as Brooks, but I think he can, uh, you know, I think he can
0: keep this thing going. Hank, you're the man. One more so, for me, yeah. Hank. One more for me, Hank. Hey, Trey Johnson, can yeah. he sign
1: tomorrow? What's going on, basketball baby? Man, I checked Everybody, some sources. You know, they're I've
2: you know, I've, I saw a prediction on another site. You know, they they projected him to Texas. Um, you know, we've been writing. I think the positive buzz is for Texas. I just don't know who he's going to sign. I I feel like he's going to. You know, he has until I guess tomorrow at midnight. I think. You know, the, there's the one week window with this regular signing period. I know, uh, you know, one source of Texas told me is not done yet. Um, so, you know, they're still fighting tooth and nail with Baylor. Um, they both want to get him, but I, I think Texas has a, a has a good shot here. Is he going to commit for tomorrow? I couldn't say. I, I lean towards yes, but um, you know, we'll we'll see. But I like Texas's chances right now.
1: Yeah. you know what's underrated, Hank, is the fact that. He's not gonna have to play his pops alma mater next season. Going to the SEC, yeah, that like that. I think that's huge. If they were still in the Big Twelve, I'd be a little worried. But going to the SEC, he can make his own name. He ain't gotta worry about his pops legacy and all that with Baylor. I I think that's a big deal. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. That can certainly be something they're they're talking about. Even more reason to get over to horns twenty four seven. And keep up with all the latest recruiting from our man, Hank South, Jordan Scruggs. Hank, thanks so much, man. No problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Hank. Appreciate
1: yeah. you. Yeah.
0: What a week this has been.
1: Y'all and want Trey Johnson bad, Chip. I that dude. I love his game. Smooth. Reminds me just that, like Bradley Beal when he was coming out of St. Louis and went to Florida to play for Billy Donovan. Just a smooth jumper. He will play D, so you don't got to worry about that, Coach Terry. And, yeah, I think he wants to play college, too. I think he wants to embrace that because you saw what happened to A.J. Johnson going to play in Australia and Ron Holland, who had 11 turnovers in his first G League game. Just saying. I know, Ron, you getting that 500,000, that's cool and all, but that speed of the G League game, yeah, man, you're going to have to get used to that. So, Ron Holland, 11 turnovers in your first game, getting beat by 40, not a good look, but hey, hey, he, that's what he chose, you got to live with it. He chose that, didn't want to come to UT, which he could have been a big help this season. Oh, well, whatever. That's in the past. But, yeah, Trey Johnson, that'd be a huge get for Rodney Terry to go along with the rest of that 2024 class. I think that's coming in.
0: You know what else would be a huge get? A huge get would be going to Salt Traders Coastal Cooking for happy hour tonight, six, 3.30 to 6.30. And you're eating off the beginning's menu. $5 off the beginning's menu. And let me tell you something. That beginning's menu, you can eat family style like a king and queen. You're getting the the uh, New Orleans barbecued shrimp. You're getting the grilled oysters. You're getting the chowder fries. You are loving it. So you want a great date night place to go? Why don't you uh, surprise your significant with a trip to Salt Raiders Coastal Cooking. Um, Happy hour every night from 3.30 to 6.30. All night happy hour on Monday night when you can kind of work the date night and Monday night football. You know what I'm saying? But this is our man, Jack Gilmore, who uh, gave you Jack Allen's kitchen. This is his seafood restaurant. Got location in Zilker. And in Round Rock, Salt Traders Coastal Cooking. Um, and real quick, Brain Vault, for all you, you know, sports-minded parents, team managers, Brain Vault is the best mouth guard to protect your your child, whether, the, whether it's cheerleading, lacrosse, basketball, um, patented, proven to reduce the effects of concussion, and fits like you cannot believe. Take it from me. I have my own brain vault mouth guard. And it fits so well, you almost don't even want to take it out. Um, it's the best. And it's from our man, Dr. Greg Eckert, right here in Austin, Texas. It's the choice of Bijan Robinson. Um, it needs to be the choice of your kids, your team. They do group fittings. They will come to you. All you have to do is set up an appointment at brainvault.com. All right, Zay. Um, chip shot today is this this five-star culture thing. That Iowa State is the champion of the five-star culture and now Texas and its culture are going to be tested, and let's see, it's been so good. The culture has has been so good all year. Um They've rallied around each other. They've answered the call. Um, they, you know, lost that game to Oklahoma after having the lead, taking the lead with a minute 17 left. You almost still can't believe it, but it's... It's football, so you've had injuries, you've had to endure, you've had to survive, you're trying to get to the finish line and you may be limping, but if everybody pulls together and continues to rely on this culture and playing for each other and trying to get to the championship and you know, guys like Jordan Whittington, who Steve Sarkeesian, I thought, put it really eloquently yesterday, he said, Jordan Whittington came back to win a championship. He wants to leave here a champion and all of the dirty work that he's doing that goes unnoticed in the stat box is getting noticed in the NFL. Like, Jordan Whittington has New England Patriots written all over him. For his sake, I hope he goes someplace better, you know, like my Detroit Lions, you know. Something. All right, all right. I'm just saying <laughs> the culture has been on. Und- you want to have
1: him bitch, by the way. I'm Hey. You wanted to have him benched. And John I Tate just wanted a couple, couple of reps. Okay, all right. Now you want him on the Lions? You go I'm from bench to on the Lions? How does Don't that Don't use work? the
0: B word. I didn't use the B word. I just said, <laughs> can I get a couple reps for my man Jontae Cook? Because at one point, Jontae had a 26-yard catch and a 50-yard catch in, like, back-to-back games. It's been so mm-hmm. long since he's had a catch, I can't even remember what Jontae Cook looks like. Xavier Worthy almost got him killed the other night. So <laughs> can I can I get Jonte Cook on something other than a bubble screen where pencil-thin yeah. Wispy Worthy's got a block of strong safety? Yeah, man. Um, but right. this is it. This is it. This is everything you've been working for. Don't let doubt come into the room. Just trust it. And, and Sark... usually means what he says and says what he means. And if he's pissed off and tired of watching his team's pass defense and they need to play more aggressively, then do it. Don't say it. Do it. Don't, you know, be it. So I'm expecting that. I'm expecting that Saturday night. I think it's going to be a knife fight in Ames. But look, your culture was called out by this team and Christian Jones says we now have the five-star culture to go with the five-star talent. Okay, then bring it. Let's see that on full display. I don't care if it's a 13-10 win. I don't care if it's a 10-7 win. Just show us that culture, show us that determination, show us that like The Wyoming game, 10-10, go in the fourth quarter, no problem. You kicked it into gear and you took care of business. That's what I'm looking for Saturday night. I'm not going to focus on the negatives. I'm not going to – because it's been different reasons, different things that have have caused these 20-point leads to disappear. But last week, Sarkeesian not running the football in the third quarter – Ended up costing his defense in the fourth quarter. And bottom line is intensity. Sarkeesian, the play caller, needs to be dialed in. Quinn, yours has to be protected. And the culture needs to carry them through.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. And shout out to the Offensive line being nominated for the Joe Moore Award being a semifinalist. You heard Christian Jones talk about that before the season. That was a huge goal for him in this offensive line. And Christian Jones coming off of that injury where he missed the Kansas State game. He was a little rusty. He was. Had a few false starts. And I want to say he had a hold in a big time or, or just a big false start in the clutch time. I want to say it was four from one. And he had that false start late in the second half. And it's like, all right, Christian Jones, you're doing stuff that you did when Tom Herman was around. Let's clean it up. But overall, the offensive line, they've been steady. And they might have to have their best game. You know, with no Jonathan Brooks, Jonathan Brooks made a life a lot easier for you. So now you gotta make some bigger holes for C.J. Baxter, who has a lot of potential, but he's not 24. And Jaden Blue, who also has a lot of potential, but he's also not 24. So offensive line, they gotta be on point. They gotta move guys, and you don't want it to come to Quinn Ewers having to make throws against this type of defense. That three-three-five, it could be very just stingy and if you're being very arrogant trying to go against it with just trying to throw the deep ball and not taking the intermediate stuff then it could really cost you so Yeah, you're right, Chip. Sark's play calling, that has to be on point. This has to be one of Sark's best games when it comes to orchestrating his offense. And I think if you use JT Sanders and Jordan Winnerton as much as possible, that's going to benefit everybody. I mean, you can't focus on everything. There's just too many weapons for this Texas team. And I feel like sometimes they get caught up in just trying to be too cute or just trying to, you know, give it to Xavier Worthy too much instead of letting everybody eat. It's about to be Thanksgiving, man. Everybody eats this time of year, so let that happen for your football team, Sark. Let Jordan Winneton get a little sample, let JT Sanders get a little sample, let Keelan Robinson get a little sample, and obviously Adonai Mitchell, especially when you're in the red zone. Number five should be your focal point once you get inside the 20. 10 touchdowns this year, basically. Like, that dude, he's been a monster in the red zone. And he was open on a pass. Quinn Ewers just didn't hit him. That should have been a touchdown. So, yeah, like, you got to use your best this time of the year because Jonathan Brooks, he's not walking through that door anytime soon. And as unfortunate as it is, you still got everything in front of you. And, yeah, it's going to be a test, man. It's, it's definitely going to be a test. And I'm very nervous. But at the end of the day, This Texas team, if they take that mindset, like Christian Jones said, five-star mentality or five-star players are starting to go with a five-star mentality, then they should be able to get
0: the job done.
1: Can I tell you
0: something that is funny because Larry pointed it out here too? The Christian Jones false start came on fourth and one from the TCU nine. Texas was going for it, but the false start moved them back and they kicked the field goal and they made it. Larry says, hey, Christian Jones, that was the best play. And I had buddies texting me saying, Christian Jones needs to jump false start every time they're in in the red zone to force Sark to kick the field
1: goal. Damn, man. I mean, hey, I get it. I get it. Like, all the troubles that they've had this year, that's a dark logic, but it makes sense. It ironically does, but...
0: Hey, yeah. Let's we'll uh let's get to the right call. Let's get to the right call with my man Zay Collier. Yeah
1: man and Before we get to the right call, shout out to Covert B-Cave, the Covert Auto Group, family-owned automotive dealerships that's been serving the greater Austin area for over 100 years. They've been taking care of folks trying to take in their hoopties and just all their beat-up buckets. Nah, man, quit driving those. Get to Covert B-Cave and get something so much better. Seven terrific brands to choose from. You're going to find something you like, whether that's a Buick SUV or a GMC car a Cadillac, the Escalades, those still go hard, man. You get a Chrysler, a Dodge, you know, they probably even find you some type of Hellcat, even though they don't make them more. It's Covert B Cave, man. Ram, Jeep, anything you want, they got it. Those seven terrific brands, you will get hooked up at Covert BK. Cave. And if you're saying, Zay, man, I need to see it myself. Okay, well, you could go to the beautiful 42 Acres or you could go to covertbk.com and you'll see all the latest specials. In inventory they got so nobody beats a covert deal not now not ever all right chip oh more family more family getting in the way of business man you know just family members can't help themselves we had to talk about tad prescott with his brother last week because he was a little salty that dallas mavericks forward grant williams was rocking a throwback jason kelsey philadelphia eagles shirt dad said no bro you play for dallas now you're gonna have everybody hate you and this and that and grant was like dude i'm gonna support who i want to support i appreciate your brother and what he does but i'm an eagles fan it is what it is and then grant williams was very petty by posting uh michael parsons wearing a philadelphia 76ers jersey so yeah it goes both ways but If you saw last night, Monday Night Football, the Buffalo Bills lose a brutal game against the Denver Broncos, which I won that one, Chip. I won that one. The Broncos, I had a feeling my man Sean Payton, he's ripping those balls, getting as high as he can. And that playbook is as open as Pam Anderson's legs in that Tommy Lee video. So... I'm just saying, my man Sean Payton, he's as high as ever. Him and Russell, they're out here doing their thing. But with that loss for the Buffalo Bills, Trayvon Diggs, younger brother of Stefan Diggs, who didn't play that well and neither did Josh Allen. I want to say they had four turnovers total and Josh Allen was throwing picks like I don't know what. He went on Twitter and said, man, 14 got to get up out of there about his brother in Buffalo. He also went on to say, let's not forget he, he as in Josh Allen, didn't start going off till bro got there, which is absolutely true too. Josh Allen's <laughs> stats and just the credit that he gets is a lot different before and when tra- uh, when uh, Stefan Diggs was there. And... I am as right as Trayvon Diggs is, bro. You're literally sitting home with a broken leg, torn ACL, just talking shit, just making life rough for your brother. Like, your brother don't need this. And remember, Chip, Stephon Diggs, he's pretty petty himself. Like, you remember when they lost last year to the Bengals in, uh, uh, in the playoffs? He was out before a coach could even make his goodbye speech end of the season speech. Somebody had to bring Stefan Diggs back and be like, yo, bro, we're a team, man. Like, you got got to be a part of this. And Stefan was like, no, I can't take this losing much longer. Like, I'm tired of this shit. So, yeah, he's a little of a prima donna, you know. He's a wide receiver. He can't help himself. But it the 5-5 and Buffalo Bills, they're not looking good right now. And – Josh Allen, he's really struggling. I don't know if it's going to be a coaching change anytime soon, but all that talent in Buffalo to be losing the games that they're losing while Cincinnati, they're getting better, and you always got to worry about the Chiefs and, you know. The Texans. The Texans, exactly. The Texans are now something. With Jacksonville getting blown out by the 49ers, the Texans, which – I can't and wait to ask, the Bills. Yeah, man. I can't wait to ask John McClain what's good with the Texans because he guaranteed a loss basically. He, he said Yo, they ain't gonna beat the Bengals. I don't see it happening. And geez, CJ Stroud was like, all right, hold my drink. The 22 year old went and got it done. So yeah, Buffalo. While a lot of teams are on the uprise, Buffalo's on the decline. And I don't like Tr- Trayvon Diggs saying this, even though he might be right. I don't Stay out your brother's business, man. Let him, you know what I'm saying? Just let him go through that. Because now he has to deal with all the questions in Western New York about, yo, your brother said this. How do you feel about it? You know? Like, that's, and you know they talking. Like, come on. That's family. Stefan and Trayvon know everything about the Cowboys and what's going on with Buffalo. That's what they do because that's how they relate, like, what's going on with Dak, you know, what's Jerry doing, yo, what's going on with Josh Allen, you know, you've got, have y'all figured out the running back situation with Cook and Murray and stuff, like, that? they're gonna be chatting, so, yeah, and again, if you're a Cowboys fan, maybe it's a manipulation type thing for Trayvon Diggs, trying to get Stephon to the Cowboys, I don't know if, that could happen. I feel like Stephon is worth some big money. And C.D. Lamb, he's definitely a wide receiver one. But, you know, you never know. You never know. It is the NFL. Jerry Jones, I'm sure he would love more help. But, yeah, bro. Come on, little bro. Just kind of stay in your lane, man. Just ice that leg. You know, have that good life that you got in Dallas, which he's probably losing his mind because he's in the house with his badass kid you know, Trayvon Diggs, badass kid that they always show in hard knocks and in the stands and stuff. Like, yeah, he's probably losing his mind having to watch that little baby kid every day. But still, like, it's, a he didn't have to say 14 needs to get up out of there. That's a little, that's a little much little, bro.
0: That's all I'm saying. No, that's, listen, we count on Perse Hilton to bring us the latest in red hot gossip and Intel and family fuggling and all that. <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful that per se Hilton is on top of all this to bring it to us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Man. yeah. Well, I'm just telling you this, uh this Texans story. And I'm sitting here looking at the, Schedule this week. Arizona is at Houston. And Houston is, you know, going to be favored to win that game. Kyler's back. Yeah, Kyler's running around. Yeah, him with the legs. Him and the legs. Uh, Dude, and, fast, uh, and then it's Texans-Jaguars for, in a first-place showdown in Houston. Thanksgiving week. And remember, um Houston beat the Jags in Jacksonville, pounded them. It's kind of where this whole thing got started. Yeah. You kidding me? I know, man. I was wondering how the man? hell
1: how the hell did Noah Brown look like that on Sunday against the Bengals? Because that dude, 175 yards, seven receptions. Like, C.J. Stroud, that good? Dad couldn't do that with Noah Brown. You know what I'm saying? Like, how is C.J. Stroud doing that with all well, these anyway. guys, man? Like, Tank Dell, I know he's good and stuff, but, wow. They got a lot of coming out party
0: guys over there in Houston, man. And they're riding Devin Singletary. I mean, he had 30 carries for 150 yards. And you're like, okay. Yeah. I mean, they stuck with it. And I just like how they're all, they seem like they're on the same page. They're getting, they're talking about doing more with less. It's impressive, man. Yeah. It's impressive. You go to Cincinnati and win. But, Zay, you you got that right. You said Broncos plus seven, baby. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. playing some good football right now,
1: man. Russell Wilson, he's looking like Seattle Russell Wilson. He's moving in the pocket. They're letting him scramble a little bit. You know, he's still corny as hell, but... Hey, you can't deny that dude ain't going to Canton. (laughs) Like, that's a Hall of Fame quarterback right there. I don't give a damn what he was like last year. Like, he can still play a little bit under the right, you know, system and scheme. And, Man, they made some big plays yesterday. I mean, Jerry Judy, that dude, I know people talk about him being overrated, and he had that little, you know, odd situation with Steve Smith, or Steve Smith just called him just the guy and stuff, and that was pretty dramatic. And Cortland Sutton had one of the best catches of the year last night with that toe tapper in the side of the end zone. Like That was a hell of a catch. So
0: Cortland Sutton, SMU.
1: SMU, yeah, SMU guy. So, they got underrated pieces there, man. They do. Like, they got underrated pieces. And their defense, a little stingy too. Like, Patrick second like, he's one of the best young corners in the league. And, yeah, yeah, very impressive win going to go into that part of New York and get that dub. And it's just, what's wrong with the Bills now? That's kind of the question that a lot of people are asking. because. <laughs> Looks like they were supposed to win the AFC East
0: once again, and seems like Miami is going to end up taking that. I think your, I think your right call. Is symptomatic of what's wrong in Buffalo. Well, yeah. I mean, Stefan Diggs. He is like every other prima Hey, you remember. You remember Brian Robinson going around to everyone in the Minnesota locker room asking every player who's one guy you wouldn't want anywhere near your sister? And every player for the Vikings said Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that shouldn't be,
1: you know, that might he might just be a ladies' man. They might just see him.
0: You know, I'm just saying, hey, I love this. Ike says, look at the Texans' schedule and tell me they can't win out. It's crazy. And you look at the Texans' schedule. I mentioned they got Arizona. Then they get Jacksonville at home. Then they get your Denver Broncos in Houston. Three straight home games. Then they go on the road to the Jets, on the road to the Titans, who look like a mess with. Will Levis, one week after Levis, looked like a world beater. Then they get the Cleveland Browns and Tennessee Titans in Houston before going to Indianapolis. Listen, they're not going undefeated. But they're in the mix. I mean, they're 5-4. and four.
1: Yeah, I need to see
0: that Browns game. Shout-out to
1: the Browns. 31-17, came back and ended up winning that game. That's huge. Baltimore. All they know how to do is give up leads. Like, Baltimore, at times, they look like the best team in the league, and then at times, you're like, what the hell are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. And, yeah, Deshaun Watson, AFC North, best division in football. I mean, Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, you know, they're going to be a tough out. Joe Burrow, even though Texans beat them, it seems like he's getting his rhythm back. And those teams I just said, Cleveland and Baltimore, they've been really tough. So, yeah, it's hard to win in that AFC door, but whoever wins that division definitely deserves it.
0: Rookie of the year, C.J. Stroud, baby. She yeah, maybe MVP. Could be. He keeps this rolling. Right? Come on. And to what
1: Chris Hummer said, like, I had that feeling about him, too, just because that Ohio State PTSD with quarterbacks going to the NFL Like
3: is he right? He had
0: Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. I mean Jackson Smith and Jigba like stars. Right. (laughs) He had stars, man. You
1: know, so how good is he really? And they never I don't did he ever beat Michigan? I don't think he ever beat Michigan during this time because Justin Fields, I think, beat him, but CJ Stroud, I don't think he ever did. So nobody was giving them credit for that, but we should have known with that CFP game and how he did against Georgia and all those NFL players that they had on that team last year, you should have known, I'm like, okay, maybe this guy is different. Maybe this guy is, you know, worth every penny. And I know Panthers fans right now are kicking themselves in the butt for, you know, picking up Bryce Young. But get <laughs> Bryce Young some time, especially if they get Marvin Harrison Jr. in the 2024 draft. Give him some time. Give him some time.
0: All right. Well, speaking of time, our time is up. And I actually have to run and pick up my daughter. So KD and CJ, come on in, fellas. Go get your daughter, Chip. Great show, guys, as always. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate it, fellas. Y'all rock it. Have a good show.